this city in South Korea and there's a man by the name of Jung Jun and he offers in South Korea something called a death experience where people can pay a fee to be placed in a wooden coffin and have it hammered shut for up to as long as 10 minutes Uh, they, they, they pay $25 for the privilege of being dead for 10 minutes. Arms folded over their chests. <laughs> In the coffin, hammered shut for 12 minutes while they rest in the dark. Some people call this an ultimate niche industry and you would be surprised how something like this could be popular but something else that's going on in South Korea is that there is a lot of stress there's financial stress there's emotional stress there's family stress and so what the deal is for this death experience where you can go see Mr. Jung Jun uh, is, is, is putting things into perspective this is uh, called a coffin academy, and the reason why that these people pay to experience this, they go to this place and they'll write out letters, they'll put together a will, they'll write letters to their loved ones, they'll have a service that they can go to and do all of this stuff to experience this because there are so many other things that are stressing the people out. The object of this death experience is for people to understand that what you worried about ain't really that important. Uh, I was listening to a song the other day and it said, have you ever heard a dead person cuss somebody out? Have you ever heard a dead person keep a grudge? And the reason they're saying that is when it all is said and done, some of the things that people are worried about, some of the things that we lose sleep over, some of the things that we ain't talked to our family members over uh, years behind really ain't that important because the grave ends up being the great equalizer. So these financial woes that people might be having, these family problems that people might be having, these emotional problems that people might be having, all of that pales into comparison when you understand that soon and very soon we all are going to have to go see the king, amen? And so it's a teaching tool and it's gotten popular because these people can pay $25 to realize, you know what, maybe life ain't all that bad. You know what? Maybe I should call my cousin and talk to them again. Maybe I should give my mom a call to see how she's doing. Maybe I should sit down and uh, smooth things over with my dad because when it's all said and done, I'd rather have that rough conversation than have that regretful tear in the pew. And so these people have caught on in this death seminar and to the point that there is an insurance company in Korea that makes it mandatory for all 4,000 of their employees. You get hired, you got to go to the death seminar. 
Uh, you got to go to the deaf seminar to understand what's going on because life is, is full of ups and downs. And there are some guarantees in life. And, and, and while I'm on this, I, I, I have this conversation when I hang around the pastors. Which is pretty much what other pastors do. We, we, uh, we, we crack a lot of jokes and we eat and lie. And, and, uh, <laughs> but one of the things that we also talk about during those times is, is the unfortunate thing that you have to do when you have to raise an offering at a funeral. This ain't in the sermon. I just thought about it, and I figured now is a good time as ever. You need some insurance. Is it? Check, check, two, two, one, two. You need some insurance. Nothing's harder than trying to raise an offering at a funeral. Because they don't have enough to bury the person. It don't matter what age you are. You don't know when your time is going. And so we ought to be able to focus on that and get some insurance. Because it's real hard. Because at that time, ain't nobody really giving. And that's something that we can easily take care of ourselves. That's not a part of the sermon. I just figured I'd say that right now. If you don't have any, you should get some. back to the message at hand we have this thing and all of these things pale in comparison and uh, Mary Magdalene is running to an empty tomb uh, we in the text and it says early on the first day of the week while it was still dark Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance while are we talking about Mary Magdalene can I, can I share a few things about Mary Magdalene Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. If you're looking for somebody to beat up on women in the Bible, I ain't your preacher. But I got to cover it because a lot of people have spread this around and it ain't Bible. There ain't nothing true about that. Somebody made that up and the lie got passed on and on to generation and generation. And Mary Magdalene got called a sinful woman. She got called a prostitute, but that ain't nowhere in the Bible. If you find it, you can have my check. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. Mary Magdalene was coming to the tomb early along with others because it says we in the text. Mary Magdalene says they have taken the stone of the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So she obviously was not by herself. But what she sees is she finds that the stone had been blocked and the entrance of the tomb has been rolled away. And she goes back to report to Peter and John. John, the disciple who Jesus loved. I like the gospel according to John. I say it time and time again. And one of my things that I like about the gospel according to John is that John doesn't always say John when he's talking about himself. Uh, he says the disciple whom Jesus loved. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loves. And so sometimes in my spiritual imagination, when I go through the gospel according to John, and I read the gospel according to John, I understand that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
We all are disciples of Jesus Christ, are we not? We are students of the king. And so when it talks about the disciple who Jesus loves, I think about myself. And so I can read the gospel according to John and I can insert myself into the text. Uh, Sometimes we ought not read the Bible looking for heroes. Sometimes we need to read the Bible looking for friends. These are not perfect people through and through the text. These are people achieving or heading towards the goal of perfection. And so the disciple whom Jesus loved is not just John. The disciple whom Jesus loved is Reginald. The disciple whom Jesus loved is Dedra. The disciple whom Jesus loved is Johnny. The disciple whom Jesus loved is all of you. And so we have this, this, this stone. Mary sees the stone rolled away from the entrance and immediately thinks the worst. She believes that Jesus' body has been stolen. And she discovered this shocking news that the, that the body was gone. And she ran to Simon Peter, the other disciple, who's John. And, and they said that they've taken him out the tomb. And she doesn't know where they laid him. And so we move from the message of Mary Magdalene to the mission of the disciples who are the mission? Who are the disciples with the mission? There's Peter and John, and they go to visit an empty tomb. And John goes first, and he sees the linen cloth laid over there, and he doesn't go in. And Peter goes on ahead and says, goes in, and that says to me that there is room for both types of people in the kingdom. Some of us may be a little more Johannine, a little more cautious. We might want to take a step and then look and see what's going on and back up for a little bit. And then there are some of us who don't really care what's going on. Sometimes that mouth goes before that mind locks in. And that's your Peter type people. And those are people who will tell you what's on their mind, don't care what you think about it, don't care how you like it. You just got to deal with it. So there's room for both those sweet and meek people and those loud and boisterous people in the kingdom. Both of them still have a place in the kingdom. And I like that John did this and he, 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 he saw and he still went. And so there's, I like that because the, the presence of fear does not mean the absence of faith. The presence of fear does not mean the absence of faith. Sometimes you got to be willing to do something even though you're scared. It's not about being fearful. The problem is when you freeze. Ah, when I was in high school at North Central High School in Indianapolis, Indiana, nobody could graduate from this class, from get your diploma without taking gym. And when you had to take the gym class, even though I ran track and played a lot of sports and, and played football and did, did things, I, I wasn't the best swimmer. And you could not pass gym class at North Central High School unless you could swim. And by swim, they meant you needed to be able to jump in the Olympic-sized pool, go down, grab a brick, bring the brick back up to the teacher. You also had to be able to swim several laps. And then you also had to be able to tread water for at least a minute and a half in the deep end. Now, I wasn't the best swimmer when I got in the class. One might even say I was scared. But when I got on the top of that Olympic diving board, because you also had to be able to dive off of the diving board and go down in there and get the brick and go, I made a decision that even though I was scared, I'm still going to have to do it. So I can either do it scared and get out this class. I can't be an athlete and flunk gym. 
I'll either do it scared or not do it at all and then flunk the class. And I don't know if y'all know my mom or not. She has an apparatus around her waist that would come out whenever you had bad grades. And I couldn't run from her because she was an all-star athlete herself. I couldn't beat her in a foot race until I was a senior in high school. And I was running a 10, 8, and 100. Mama fast. And so I had to make this decision that even though I was scared, I'm still going to have to make this jump. Even though I'm scared, I'm still going to have to do these things. Even though I'm scared, I have to understand that my Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. Even though I'm scared in the, in the trials and tribulations of life, I'll understand that weeping may endure for a night. But joy may come in the morning. Even though I'm scared, I understand that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Even though I'm scared, I'll understand that I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. And so I like that even though Peter rushed in, John still, still went in even though he was fearful. And so there's room for both those who run in and ask questions later and those who ask questions and might ask too many questions. There's room for both of us in the kingdom. And Peter notices that the head wraps are there. Uh, Peter notices that their head wraps are there. I, 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 I find that very interesting because there are people out there that straight up believe that Jesus did not rise from the dead. There are people out there that believe that this is a myth. This is, this is something that you have made up and people are just perpetuating this myth in order to get paid and fool the people. Well, I don't know who's getting paid out there, but I, I just don't feel like this is something that you would have to do for a myth. Uh, the people that went around talking about Jesus rose from the dead right after he rose from the dead all got killed, dipped in boiling oil, crucified upside down, having to, 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 to fight lions in the Colosseum. This was not a glitz and glamour thing. Wasn't no pensions in place for them. Wasn't nobody getting a $64 million jet for preaching about the gospel back then. This meant you sacrificed your life. Why would you continue that for a lie? Uh, and, and I noticed that the linen cloth was still there. So if somebody was going to steal a body, let's just play that out for a moment. If the first off you got to find somebody willing to break the Roman seal on the stone on the on the stone. Uh, because if you broke a Roman seal, that person got broken. If somebody put a Roman seal on something, that meant nobody else was able to touch it except a Roman official. So first off, you got to find somebody willing to break the Roman seal and risk their own life for it. Next thing you got to do is it says that the cloths are still there. When people were, 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 were buried in the tombs of those times, they wrapped them up in the cloths. And then they had that cloth that they would anoint the, 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 the cloth with oil. The cloths are still there. If somebody was going to steal a dead body, why would they take the time to unwrap it, a decomposing dead body? Who would do all that work when you can just scoop the body up and take it somewhere else? That's a whole lot of work to do for a lie. And so the, 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 the wrappings are there to let us know that Jesus rose again. He has overcome death through the full 
resurrection. And the story was yet to still be untold, but Peter and, and, and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, saw these things and went on back to their house. Uh, the text says in verse 10, it says uh, that the disciples went back to where they were staying. The disciples went back to where they were staying. I'll go back to that in a minute. I just want to point that out, that the disciples went back to where they were staying. And then we go back to Mary Magdalene, who was not a prostitute. Back to Mary Magdalene, and she is weeping outside the tomb, and these angels are looking at her and asking her, why are you weeping? And so here you have Mary, who is sorrowful, and the sorrowful one is about to see some shining ones. And these shining ones are the angels that are sitting at the head and the foot of the, where Jesus was resting. And these shining ones asked her, why are you crying? Uh, and they said that they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. Sometimes when you are distraught, you will say the wrong thing. Sometimes when you have been hit with these trials and tribulations, you will think the wrong thing. You will think that somebody has taken away this situation, but that is not what happened. And so we have a sorrowful one being questioned by some shining ones. And as the sorrowful one is being questioned by some shining ones, the sovereign one shows up right behind him. And Jesus asks, uh, where... Why are you crying and who is it that you're looking for? And Mary still doesn't understand what's going on. And she thinks that this is the gardener. Uh, he, he does handle seeds, uh, but this is not the gardener. And he's telling her, well, sir, if, 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 if you tell me where to put him, I will go get him. And then Mary goes from dealing in error and being sorrowful about an error from going to dealing with an error to going to ecstasy. And she is told to go tell the disciples. She's gone from error to ecstasy. And she is told to go tell the disciples. Mary is the first witness of the resurrection. I'm, I'm still in the Bible right now. Verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord and she told them all the things that Jesus has said to her. I told you if you're looking for the preacher to beat up on women, I ain't your pastor. Here we have the first Easter sermon. Don't get mad at me. It's in the book. Preach by a woman. We ask what the gospel is. What do we recite when we recited the uh, affirmation of faith? I believe Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father of Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Well, who was there to know that he was born of a virgin? A woman. Uh, when we go to the crucifixion story, who was there at the crucifixion? A woman. The disciples ran. And when we go to early, on the first day of the week, who's there first to open up the tomb? Who's there to anoint the body? When you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's a woman. 
you hear about the disciples running away. So if anybody were to make a recommendation or an argument about someone not being able to preach the gospel based on their gender, I would need to get out the pulpit before a woman would. Here we have this, 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 this resurrection and she's seen the Lord and she told and because she told because the disciples went home had she not told this story does not get spread. And the same thing when you look at Mark the last chapter of Mark and, and halfway through the last chapter if, if that story is not spread we wouldn't be here today. And we wouldn't be here to, to realize the importance of it and, and, and understand that Mary Magdalene said, I have seen the Lord. And because she said, I have seen the Lord, we have an opportunity to see the Lord every day. We don't need to pay somebody in Korea $25 to crawl up into a, car, a coffin and engage the, 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 and, and, and get an understanding of death. Why? Because Jesus did that for real. We don't need to spend three days in the tomb. We don't need to have these kind of reenactment understood because Jesus did it and did it for the salvation of the whole world. We don't need some sort of artificial lesson or a fake death or the trace because we understand now and we reenact it every time we baptize somebody that we are experiencing in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the living king. We celebrate that every time baptism occurs. The apostle Paul says in baptism, we participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We have been buried with him by baptism and death and so that, that Christ is raised from the dead to the, by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in the newness of life. We don't need a coffin for the experience. We've gotten the real thing. Uh, Paul also said that I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It is not I who live, but the Christ who lives in me. It is that because all of that has been done, we now have access to the Father. Because all that has been done, we don't have to worry about death, hell, and the grave. Because all that has been done, we have access to eternal life. I told him this morning about my son and how my son fascinates and frustrates me at the same time. He's fascinating being on the autism spectrum, so he's dealing with things that have caused me to grow. Uh, the boy is smart. I know everybody says that their children are smart. I understand everybody's baby is a genius, but my baby is really smart. He could read at two. And he could read, uh, they said, at an eighth grade level, and had they kept testing him, he'd have been reading at a college or a high school, uh, 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 at a high school graduate or a college level, but they had to move on to other parts of the test. He commits things to memory. He has certain things that happen, and so while he could read at the age of two, he lacked the fine motor skills to hold a pencil. He memorizes every way we take home. He gets adjusted to patterns sometimes. If I take one way home, if I decide to take another way home, he'll start screaming and crying. Uh, he, he, he memorizes things. He can tell you all about the solar system, what, which one's the gas giant, which one's the ball of iron, which one has what moons here, and he knows them perfectly. He's kind of particular about the patterns. He gets in trouble at school because it's frustrating. He corrects the teacher. He will tell the teacher the teacher is wrong. He gets in trouble at school as well because he'll finish all of his homework and all of his schoolwork before everybody else does. And now he wants to run around the class. So he's fascinating and he's frustrating. He goes through these phases where he'll only eat 
certain color foods and he'll avoid certain other color foods and so right now he's avoiding dark brown I don't know whose child this is that don't like steak and ground beef I don't know what happened but he's avoiding dark brown and now the, the other thing that he keeps doing when he goes around is he carries around a rock he wants to take this rock Everywhere he goes, Daddy, can I take the rock to school? Daddy, can I take the rock to church? Daddy, can I take the rock to the grocery store? He keeps this rock on him, and I keep telling him, no, no, no. He's even snuck the rock into the car, and I've caught it sometimes when we got to the parking lot. I don't want you leaving rocks everywhere, son. Let's leave this rock here. He takes this rock everywhere. It's focused on this rock, or so I thought. Then one Sunday morning... Uh, about five or six weeks ago, actually, he came into my bedroom and he jumped on the bed when I was waking up trying to prepare for my sermon. He jumped on the bed, put the rock next to me, shook me, slid the rock off the bed and said, Daddy, what happened Sunday morning? He, he jumped on my bed, put the rock next to me, shook me. Slid the rock off the bed and said, Daddy, what happened Sunday morning? I was mad. I was trying to prepare for my sermon, and I started focusing on spare the rod, spoil the child. I started focusing on certain, like, son, my son despised not the chastisement of your father. I had my sermon all changed around, but he said, Daddy, what happened Sunday morning? What happened Sunday morning, son? He said, the earth shook. That's why it shook me. He said the stone rolled away. That's why he rolled the stone off the bed. And the tomb was empty. So here it was. I thought he was talking about just a plain old rock. But he was focused on the rock of my salvation. Rock of ages. Clap for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow on Christ. The solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He was focused on a rock. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever others may say. I see his hand of mercy. And then I hear the voice of cheer. And every time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. And talks with me a long life stare away. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. So now Johnny can take that rock everywhere he goes. He can take the rock to school. He can take the rock to church. He can take the rock to his job. Because he understood not a rock, but the rock. That rock on the Friday morning on a hill called Calvary. Where they took my savior and hung him up between two thieves. And he died. Didn't he die? Died until the moon was dipped in blood. Died until the earth reeled and rocked like a natural man. Died until the centurion said, surely, surely this must be the son of God. That's not where the story ends. They put him in a borrowed tomb because he wouldn't be there long. So they took the rock, put him in a rock, and put a rock on the outside of the rock. But the rock on the inside of the rock was greater than the rock on the outside of the rock. So early, early, early Sunday morning, he got up 
with all power in his hands. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.